Hi folks, welcome to this week's episode of the Physical Education Podcast. Um, so as usual, sort of following on from the from the newsletter. Um, so if you're not getting the newsletters and you'd like to, I, I'd encourage you to to sign up. You can do that via my website and all the links are in the the bio. But what I was doing this week and what I'm going to be doing for the next couple of weeks is covering... Uh, what I'm calling core principles, core concepts. These are things that you you need to understand and you need to apply in order to get better. So anyone who does get better has uh, anyone who who does get better from some sort of chronic health issue or chronic pain, whatever it is, has applied these techniques to some degree or these concepts. To some degree, whether knowingly or unknowingly. So I think a lot of the times when people get better and they might attribute it to one thing, but it's usually to do with one of these um, factors that we're going to cover. So the first one today is breathing. I mean, I, I talk about breathing a lot and there's a reason for that. I'm going to elaborate on that again today. The simplest way to kind of think of why breathing is so important is because it is, it's the most vital human function. So the, the way I think of it is the quickest way you could uh, reliably induce stress in anyone, regardless of who they are, is to restrict their breathing. Obviously, some people will be able to tolerate that more, and some people will panic pretty quickly. But reliably, across the board, every single human being ever if you restrict their breathing, that will induce a state of stress. It might take 10 seconds, it might take two minutes if they're well trained and well, you know, and they're, you know, they're resilient to stress, but that will happen. Now, if we think of other sort of vital functions and other vital um, needs that humans have, such as food, hydration, sleep, um, shelter, human connection, self-expression, uh, creativity, exploration, all of these things, these are all extremely important, but it would take much longer to starve someone or to kill someone <laughs> from dehydration um, or from sleep deprivation. These are all things that are very, very important. These are the foundations of health, but the absolute most important is breathing. So it's the, it's the most vital function. And what tends to happen is, so you might be thinking, okay, yeah, breathing, fair enough, I get that, I get that it's important, but I breathe. I mean, you breathe automatically, or, I'm, you know, you're breathing now, I hope, <laughs> or, you know, within the next minute, you'll be, take another breath. I'm breathing now, and we all breathe automatically. So why do we need to concern us, ourselves with that? Because it happens automatically, and, you know, thank God that it does happen automatically. But what tends to happen is that, um, I mean, basically life, for most people, modern life, is arguably fundamentally incompatible with our biology, with the way we were, uh, the way we are, the way we've evolved or been designed or whatever you believe. The way humans operate is pretty um, at odds with modern circumstances so things are things are very very stressful the good thing is that we're very adaptable we kind of take things in stride we can tolerate a lot of stress you know the evidence for that is the fact that human beings can thrive in all sorts of conditions they can thrive uh, you know in northern latitudes at the equator in the desert uh, we can or maybe not thrive but we can survive and um, you know, we are extremely resilient. But there's a certain level of stress there, as much as we might be used to it, as much as we might quite enjoy it. I think uh, a lot of stress can be quite addictive. Um, we can get very used to being stressed. We can very, get very used to being um, highly strung and having a lot of um, hum and activity in, your, in our lives uh, to the point that when things are quiet and quaint and easy and there's nothing really going on that can make us anxious and that, that's a good 
um, piece of self-reflection for yourself. If you find it hard to relax, or if you find it hard to do nothing, if you find it hard to take a day off and just, you know, feel like maybe you've wasted a day, but obviously if you're comfortable with that, you won't feel like you've wasted a day. But if you tend to be highly stressed or quite used to being stressed and that's your favorite state and that's going to be quite common with people who grew up in a lot of turmoil, uh, be it familial or environmental or whatever it is, if that's the environment that you grew up in, that's what you're used to and you can feel kind of at ease there. So that's what you've kind of been habituated to. But the physiology, the underlying physiology of stress which is something that we want to avoid over long periods of time, that is still occurring. So as much as you might be, um, you might be sort of comfortable at that, uh, at that level of stress, and you might not even think of it as stress, that is a, a form of stress that your body is undergoing, uh, which isn't the end of the world, but it's, it's, it's always something worth uh, recognizing and reflecting on, and especially when we have problems that aren't really responding to our best efforts, sometimes we need to confront some of these tougher things that, that challenge uh, the way we live, that challenge our views of the world and, and the, the, the things that challenge bigger things uh, that we hold dear. So, <coughs> bit of a tangent, long story short, life is, uh, modern life anyway, is inherently stressful and what happens when we're stressed, is our breathing um, is um, disrupted. It tends to become more shallow. It tends to become quicker. Um, and this essentially is a, is a signal of stress to the body. The same way that if you were to hold your hand to a hot stove, that, that is going to signal a certain amount of stress. Uh, the same way if someone were to shine a very bright light into your eyes, that is going to signal a certain amount of uh, stress to your body and it's going to um, push your body towards an increased state of stress. So when we're stressed, our diaphragm muscle tends to contract, it tends to shorten and make our breathing much more shallow, much more irregular, um, and um, we basically get less oxygen, we get a, a disruption to the balance of oxygen to carbon dioxide and um, we tend to think of breathing as being all about oxygen and I've talked about this recently when I was discussing the whole mask issue with regards to the current pandemic but we tend to think of uh, breathing to be entirely about oxygen but like most things in the body uh, nutrients or chemicals or components don't really work in isolation so Oxygen can only really be used if you have adequate carbon dioxide. So when you tend to hyperventilate, which is what tends to happen when we're stressed, we expel a lot of carbon dioxide. We waste too much carbon dioxide. So while we might be getting plenty of oxygen, we're not actually able to use that oxygen because we don't have the sufficient carbon dioxide to create the, the proper chemical exchange uh, within the body. So, <clears throat> a few more words then on, on hyperventilation. So I mentioned when we're stressed, we hyperventilate. And your idea of hyperventilation might be that, you know, you're panicking, you're going <gasps> like that. Um, you know, someone who's distraught, who's panicking, who's upset, you think of that as being hyperventilation. And that absolutely is hyperventilation, but it's this sort of overt uh, extreme end of hyperventilation. Hyperventilation can be very subtle, can be uh, unnoticeable to to most people unless they're, they're used to tuning into these things, but it's basically a high rate of breathing. The, um, there's different sort of schools of thought, different standards on this, but if you, if inhaling and exhaling is one cycle of breathing, if you're breathing more than eight cycles in a minute, that would be considered hyperventilating. I think in terms of the sort of modern medicine perspective, that's where they're thinking hyperventilating. 
people who are more concerned with um, with breathing, who really make breathing their focus, they might argue that more than six cycles per minute, you're into hyperventilation. I mean, you could kind of debate this all day. Um, the point is, we want to reduce that number as much as possible. So we want as as few um, breathing cycles within the span of a minute as possible and as comfortable and as necessary to properly oxygenate the body. So that could be four cycles per minute, five cycles, six cycles. Some people who are very well trained might be able to manage one cycle per minute. Um, <clears throat> you probably don't need to concern yourself with that unless you are, you know, a, a deep sea diver or, you know, whatever it is. But the point being is if you're kind of uncertain, if you're hyperventilating, you can use that as a metric so you can take a snapshot so uh, pause where you are and get a stopwatch or just look at your watch or your phone and see for the next minute how many inhales and exhales you do how many breathing cycles you do in the next minute so inhale then exhale that's one cycle so are you doing more than six cycles are you doing more than eight cycles whatever it is um i mean don't beat yourself up about it but you know just take a note of what that is take a note of how that feels and we'll be able to refer back to that as as you deepen your breathing practice. So hyperventilation, long story short, is much more common than than you might think. But based on the name you kind of think of it as this state of panic, but it is it can also be this low level state of um <clears throat> this low level state of persistent stress where we're not getting a full inhalation and full exhalation of the diaphragm. So that brings us uh, nicely onto the diaphragm. And, and this is where we, we kind of want to base our efforts at the start of our breathing practice, I, I would argue. Um, and your diaphragm, to begin with, is a, it's a muscle. It's your primary breathing muscle. So it contracts in order to draw air into the lungs, and it relaxes, it lengthens, uh, as the air is pushed out of the lungs. So if you think of your bicep, if you hold your arm out and you do a bicep curl, so you bring your uh, palm up to your shoulder as if you're lifting a dumbbell, that is a contraction of your bicep. And then if you lower that weight, if you lower that hand back down to the straightened arm, that is a lengthening or a relaxation. Uh, it's, it's more so a lengthening of the bicep muscle. So th that's a voluntary contraction and or shortening and lengthening of your bicep muscle. Your diaphragm, while not exactly equivalent in terms of the amount of control that we can have on it, you should be able to um, determine the extent to which you contract it and the extent to which you lengthen it. So you should have a certain amount of voluntary control over your diaphragm muscle. And this is a, um, a core concept that we'll get into later, but I've touched on before. And it's a simple matter of, if you take any muscle, if you take any body part, it has a physiological range of what is possible. So every human being, you know, human beings are fairly consistent anatomically. You know, you don't, you don't suddenly stumble across a person whose knees bend the other way. All of our knees bend the same way. They're predictable and reliable uh, standards to human anatomy that we see across the board, barring certain uh, disorders and, and, you know, things like that. But for the most part, there are consistent standards across the board. So we can use that to, to help ourselves because we can say, okay, I've got an issue with this body part or in this area, and I can say, well, what should this area or body part or muscle be able to do? So what, uh, what, are, what is the potential here versus what can I actually do? So it's the potential versus actual or versus what you can actively do. So your diaphragm, it should be able to contract. So that's one end of the spectrum. And it should be, as it contracts, it shortens as much as possible, which uh, corresponds to the inhalation phase. And it should be able to lengthen fully. So that's the opposite end of that range. 
And so that, that's, that's the potential. That's what we should be able to do. What we want to do then is to establish what we as an individual, what you as an individual can actually do um, in contrast uh, to what the potential is. And you'll get into this as you begin to tune into your breathing. You'll see how much control do I have over my diaphragm? Can I inhale at a very specific rate over a very specific amount of time? And can I do that comfortably? Or is it jerky? Is it fast? Is it uneven? Um, so I guess we'll, we'll launch into that now that we've covered you know, the basics of the diaphragm. So the simplest exercise we can do with regards to breathing is... No, actually, sorry, sorry. I, I skipped a part. Before we get into actual breathing exercises, so what we're going to do, so we've covered the basics of why breathing is important, the diaphragm. Now we're going to cover breathing posture, and then I will uh, give you a number of breathing exercises and their various benefits for you to try out and see what works best for you. So breathing posture is, is really important. It's, um, it's, I mean, it's sort of like anything. If, if you were to say, I'm going to squat, well, there are efficient and better ways to squat for certain purposes. And you can do that with any kind of exercise or movement. There are ideal, efficient ways for things to function and for you to get a maximal benefit. And the same thing applies for breathing. And what we'll tend to see is when people have disrupted breathing, some portion or the entirety of the breathing posture falls apart and we have, um, we have inefficiencies. So the, the, again, to, to point to something like a squat as an example, if someone were to do a, a perfect squat, they would have sufficient um, flexion at the ankles that they can keep their heels flat, that they can keep their back straight without hyperextending or hyperflexing. They could keep their shoulders back. I'm, I'm no expert in squats, but um, basically they would be able to load that weight on their joints and on their bones in such a way that it's as efficient as possible. And that requires certain ranges of movement and certain positions and certain actions at various uh, portions of the anatomy. And so then someone who can't squat might need to raise their heels, they might need to tuck their tailbone under, they might need to round their shoulders forward and keep the weight on their chest rather than up um, behind their head and on their shoulders. So we have all sorts of compensations that occur that if, we, if our goal is to squat as efficiently and as perfectly as possible, those are things that we want to address. So the same thing applies to breathing. So there is such a thing as good breathing posture, and that's what we're going to cover now. So hopefully you can try this um, with me. You can actually apply the breathing as we're doing this and, and the, the posture so that uh, you're really taking it in. Whether you're seated, lying down, or standing, I'd, I'd recommend lying down. It's, it's usually the most relaxing, but maybe that isn't for you. So seated or lying down or standing if you need to. What you're going to do is you're, you're going to keep your lips sealed. So your lips should always be closed. You should always be breathing through your nose. Your lips are sealed. Your jaw should be relaxed. So you sh your teeth should not be clenching. They might make a slight contact with one another, but they're not clenching. Your eyes should be pointing towards the horizon. Now you don't need to keep your eyes open, but it's a simple way of orienting your head. So you're not tilting your head back, which is arching the back of your neck. You're not tucking your chin down, which is compressing the front of your throat. You're keeping your eyes on the horizon. You know, sort of the typical way you would think of standing in good posture. You know, as much as people want to criticize that, there is some truth and efficiency to it. You're standing up straight, you're upright, you're efficient. If your body were made of Jenga blocks, you're as stable as you can possibly be. But we also want it to be comfortable. So find that balance of being nice and aligned, and what is comfortable and what allows you to completely relax the rest of your body and focus on your breathing. So we have lips sealed, jaw relaxed, eyes on the horizon as a, as a means of orienting the head. So you can keep your eyes closed or open, but just make sure that the head and the eyes are facing forward and they're not flexed back or forward too much. Your tongue is going to go to the roof of your mouth. Now this is this really crucial part that we'll expand on 
Basically, your palate, the roof of your mouth, should have a, a bit of a groove, a bit of a space in which your tongue comfortably fits. And what we want is for your tongue to occupy that space comfortably and automatically. Now, you might find that that's what happens to you already, which is great. Um, that's a lot of hard work that you won't have to do. But if you've had a lot of dental work, uh, had a lot of trauma to perhaps the mouth area, either through dental work or something else, an accident, you might find that you struggle with control of your tongue and keeping it at the roof of your mouth. If you tend to snore at night, it's quite possible that you don't have good control of your tongue because you're, you're, what, which causes your tongue to kind of fall back and, and um, create the conditions for snoring. So pay attention to that. You'll know yourself better than anyone. Do you snore at night? Have you had dental work in the past? Do you have, are your teeth crowded or did your teeth fully develop? Did your jaw fully develop? These things are all going to influence uh, the way you breathe and the ease with which you breathe. And this, again, going back to the start, breathing is this foundational component of good health, which is why we really need to uh, address this and understand this so that, you know, other, other things can really um, have their full effect. So... A simple way to to kind of grasp that idea of the tongue to the roof of your mouth is sort of suctioning it up to the roof of your mouth and you want every portion of the tongue to be in contact. So not just the tip of the tongue, but every portion of the tongue. And the way you kind of do this is if you, you allow yourself to build up a certain amount of saliva in your mouth or maybe you're eating something and you're going to swallow and you're sort of swallowing in this rolling wave-like motion where the tip of the tongue uh, hits the roof of the mouth and it rolls up and into contact with the roof of the mouth uh, and it suctions up into the roof of the mouth and it creates an actual seal like almost like a vacuum seal of the mouth where the air going in through your nose is not impacting the air within your mouth and because your lips are sealed the airflow in through the nose has no bearing on the pressure and air in your mouth. So we want that kind of suction up into the roof of the mouth and we want every portion of, of the tongue to be in contact. So including the back of the tongue, um, we want that just to sort of suction up comfortably and splay across the roof of the mouth. So hopefully, I mean, you can try that out. I'm gonna add um, a video or two to further expand on this because there's a number of dentists who teach this really well uh, and they're the best people for for that side of things but that's those are the basics on keeping the tongue to the roof of your mouth so just to kind of go over the breathing posture one more time we have whether seated standing or lying down we want to be aligned as much as possible so find the sweet spot in terms of being as aligned as you can be but also as relaxed as you can be so if you're struggling with posture, you may need to round things a certain way or go out of alignment to feel more comfortable. That's fine. That can change over time. But we want to find the sweet spot of not forcing good posture, but finding good posture that's also easy for you. So we have good alignment. We have lips sealed, jaw relaxed, teeth not clenching, but they can be in contact. Eyes to the horizon as a general guide for the head. So it's not tilted forward or back, it's looking straight forward. Eyes can be closed if you want. And then the tongue suctioned, like a suction cup, up to the roof of the mouth. And it should be, it should be making um, a reasonably firm contact, like a solid contact to the roof of the mouth, but it shouldn't feel like a lot of effort. It shouldn't feel like you're actively really pushing into it. So if it does feel like you're putting in a lot of effort, try and ease that off. But understand that that might be something that you need to train and that will come with time. So tongue to the roof of the mouth. And then, so that's our posture. Then the actual properties of good breathing are inhaling in through the nose. There should be a natural pause. Um, you know, unless you're doing something that's with a lot of physical exertion but if you're breathing for the you know for good health and for relaxation and for restoration there should be a smooth inhalation through the nose a natural pause 
and then a smooth exhalation through the nose again, and then a natural pause. So that's that's the basic, you know, <laughs> steps of, of uh, what breathing should be like. The next thing is that we want to make sure that our breathing is occurring primarily um, sort of in the entirety of the lungs rather than in the upper chest. So what tends to happen when we're stressed is we hyperventilate, we overbreathe, even if it's subtle, and all of our breathing effort uh, is happening in the upper chest, and we're using our upper chest muscles and neck muscles for that to happen. What should happen when we're doing this kind of restorative breathing for relaxation and for good health is that our belly should expand before our chest expands. So the chest can expand, and we want the chest to expand in three dimensions, because if you think about it, the reason all of this is happening and, and it's expanding is because the lungs are inflating. And as they inflate, they push the physical structure outwards. Your lungs expand in three dimensions. They don't just expand forward or down, uh, or again, this is their potential. Their potential is that they should expand in three dimensions. So we want the rib cage and down into the belly to expand in three dimensions as much as possible. So what I would encourage you to do now is to settle into, um, into your breathing, try and slow it down, and see where your breath is directed. Does your breathing occur primarily in your upper chest? Do you, uh, you, know, do you find it easy to breathe down into your belly? Do you find it easy to breathe in three dimensions? Just pay attention and, and um, see where you stand. Now to kind of get on with, once you have these basics, we, we can use a specific exercise to, to explore these things. So the simplest exercise that I find with breathing, with, with people who are new to breathing, uh, and it's really good for control, is called the box breathing exercise. And basically, you're going to inhale over four seconds, hold for four seconds, exhale for four, and hold for four. So it creates this sort of box shape, and you can, you can get a box sort of visualizer that helps you focus on it without having to count. And this is a very... There's very little coordination involved. You don't have to count different things for each phase. So this is a nice way to establish how much control you have over your diaphragm. So again, I mentioned that your diaphragm is a muscle. You should have a certain amount of voluntary control over that muscle. So if I said to you, contract your bicep and lift a dumbbell up over four seconds, you should be able to do that effortlessly. If I then say, do that over six seconds, that should be just as easy. It shouldn't be the same as four seconds and then a sudden jerk for two seconds. Um, so it should be this very smooth arc of contraction and of effort. This is what we're looking for. We want to have that level of control because if we can do that, then we can do sort of everything in between. So the box breathing is a really nice way to get into that. So we start with a four second inhale, four second hold. So we start with four as, as the box pattern. You can do three seconds, you can do five seconds, whatever it is. The point is we start with that box pattern because it's easy to follow. So what I want you to do now is again, settled into a comfortable position with your proper breathing posture, with your proper breathing technique of entirely being through the nose with natural pauses. Let's see if we can draw out an, ex an inhalation over four seconds. So I want that to be nice and even, not a sudden sharp going up and then trying to squeeze out the last bit over the, the final three seconds. It should be as smooth as possible. Again, we're gonna hold for four seconds. And then the same thing with the exhalation. We don't wanna just go or you know, we want to, <laughs> and we want to let that go as gently and as evenly as possible. You're training control of the diaphragm muscle. You're training control of your breathing. In the same way you train control of any movement that you need to be in control of. So continue to practice that. See, and, and you're evaluating as you're doing this. You're seeing, okay, 
Am I going a bit too fast at the start? Am I... Do I actually need more than four seconds? And that's fine. If you need more than four seconds, take more than four seconds. That's that's better than 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 going too fast because it means that you at least have the capacity to breathe over a longer period of time. So as your breathing capacity and health improves, you're going to be able to draw out that breath more and more and draw out that exhalation more and more. So if you need more than four seconds, that's fine. Just pick a number, whatever's comfortable. See, can you draw that out nice and evenly, nice and smoothly? Hold, should be able to hold comfortably. And then into your exhalation, again, smooth and even. And you should feel like you can, um, you don't need to gasp for air then, or you don't need to completely let go of that oxygen. So at the start, breathing is very much about finding that sweet spot where you're challenging yourself a bit, you're challenging your capacity to hold your breath to some extent, but not to the point that you're gasping for air, or that you're having to take several um, fast breaths afterwards or deeper breaths afterwards to recover. So this is very much a self-directed exercise. Find your ability to inhale smoothly over a certain amount of seconds, hold for that same amount of seconds, Exhale again smoothly and evenly, relatively effortlessly, hold and repeat. So the best thing for you to do now is, again, hopefully you're doing this alongside my, my instruction and you're already getting a sense of where you stand. Now, is this easy for you? For some people, this is going to be very easy and we'll get into more advanced stuff and that's fine. But for you, it might be a lot to coordinate. So that's fine. You, you can even simplify it. You can forget about the box pattern. Just think about inhaling as smoothly as possible so that it's entirely even. So if that's two seconds, that's fine. But then push it to three seconds and then to four seconds. And you're going to learn this. You're going to restore that ability to have voluntary control over those muscles. What we're going to do now is a more advanced breathing technique. So this is one that's particularly useful for back pain um, on a more mechanical side of things. So breathing is really, really good for back pain for a number of reasons, which is part of why I like it so much. It's, it's great for all aspects of health, but it's particularly good for, for back pain because it covers the general health aspect of things, but it also has a very direct sort of mechanical uh, influence on the lower back and on the entire spine but particularly the lower back. So at the start I mentioned that what can happen when we're stressed is that our diaphragm goes into a, a spasm. It goes into this shortened position and it, it uh, struggles to lengthen fully. So it struggles to experience the entirety of its potential, which is complete contraction and shortening and complete lengthening and, and relaxation. So you might have found with that first exercise that you're really struggling to gain control over your uh, control of your diaphragm and that's that's fine. Sometimes you can skip ahead to this to solve some issues and then go back to the box breathing. So this um, exercise, is a, it's a combination of various things I've learned um, from um, other people. It doesn't really have a name. I sometimes call it reflex breathing. What we're going to do is we're going to try and induce a reflexive, so an automatic uh, relaxation of the diaphragm muscle in order to restore it uh, back to its ability to fully contract and fully um, relax or lengthen. So with this we can start with a whatever is comfortable in terms of inhalation. The really, the really key component of this is going to be the exhalation phase and the hold after the exhalation. So start with whatever is comfortable with you, whether it's an inhalation over four seconds, five seconds. We're going to gently inhale. And let's do a hold after the inhale for at least three seconds and no more than five seconds. So again, it might take you a few goes to find what's right, but let's go for at least three second hold after the inhale and no more than a five second hold. After your hold, you're going to exhale as slowly and as fully as possible. So this is really, really important. I want you to really try and completely empty 
every last piece of air from your lungs. And you might kind of think of sort of compressing your lungs down and really sort of squeezing the air out. Again, with minimal effort, you know, this should all be relatively relaxing. We want to completely, completely empty the lungs. And once we've done that, we're going to hold our breath as long as possible. Or not as long as possible. as Until we feel that first jerk for air. So you're going to feel that air hunger build. And you're going to have this point where you kind of have a, a almost like a twitch in your diaphragm. And in that area of your abdomen and, and lower ribs. And as soon as you feel that, just allow that to trigger your next inhalation. So that's that reflex, um, that sort of stutter of the of the diaphragm muscle that's going to, you know, don't worry too much about the words because it can be explained in different ways, but sort of jolt your diaphragm back into um, shortening properly and lengthening properly. So when we fully exhale, when we empty the lungs and we hold the breath, we're giving the diaphragm the experience of being at a maximally lengthened position. So it's fully stretched uh, as much as it can be and it's holding that and that jerk is going to help it snap back into a proper contraction and that alone can be enough to restore that ability to experience the entirety of its range of motion, the entirety of its potential. So with that long explanation, hopefully you've been practicing, let's try this properly. Inhale, whatever's comfortable, hold three to five seconds and then fully exhale slowly evenly get all of the air out try and really imagine compressing the rib cage down so that you completely empty the lungs once they're empty hold your breath hold could be three seconds it could be 10 seconds whatever it is once you feel that jerk for air just let that happen just let that inhalation happen and get a really nice deep inhalation down into your belly so let's keep practicing that do a few rounds of this. I mean, we won't spend too much time. This will be something that you can you can practice in your own time. But once more, inhale, inhaling, whatever's comfortable, hold three to five seconds, whatever's comfortable. Full exhalation, nice and even, nice and full, completely empty the lungs and hold. Get used to that bit of air hunger. It feels like you're out of oxygen, you're not. It's just that you're you don't have the tolerance yet for the levels of carbon dioxide in your body, that's fine. Get used to that. It, it, it will improve with time. Once you feel that first jerk for air, let that expand. What you should find as well with this is, particularly if you're struggling to breathe sort of down into your belly and you're really breathing mostly up into your chest, waiting for that little jerk, that little twitch that uh, launches us into the next inhalation can be enough to kind of teach you how to expand down and into the belly. So I, I think I meant to, to talk about this a bit earlier, but I, I, I forgot, so I'll, I'll expand on it now and you can continue to practice. With our breathing, we want, if we think of the torso, so the entirety of the, you know, your body apart from your, your limbs, is sort of like a cylinder and we want this sort of pressure exchange as the lungs inflate and fill with air that's that's forcing pressure down into the bowl of your pelvis so if you um if you're not familiar with what a pelvis looks like um you can probably feel it in yourself but it's like this bowl shape that sort of cups your internal organs your digestive organs re reproductive organs and everything and so your lungs sit on top of that and as they inflate and as they fill up they create pressure uh, both outwards so that, that that makes your ribs expand but also downwards so the diaphragm flattens down and pushes your vital organs your well those organs down into your pelvis and you're going to have this expansion of of that area so we want to get used to this kind of uh, back and forth of pressure down into the pelvic floor and then as we exhale that pressure is moving back up towards the head 
So the diaphragm is, is pulling back up and that is creating a pull at the level of the pelvic floor as well. And so we're going to use another exercise now to kind of teach that side of things. So again, all of these exercises are good for general health. They're good for uh, stress reduction and just restoring uh, good physiology in your body and, and um, counteracting the effects of uh, stress physiology. Now this exercise is one of the more advanced ones. Um, so don't worry about it if, if it's too much to coordinate for now. But this is good if you're generally quite run down. So this is a mix of stuff I've learned from more so from Chinese medicine and various uh, parts of Chinese medicine. Um, and whether you believe in this or not, so in Chinese medicine they would have qi and it's this sort of universal energy. Um, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know to what extent I believe in it, but I know what I feel. So um, we can over-intellectualize things and we can get a bit too bogged down and, you know, Where's the evidence? Don't worry about it. See what your body feels, experience it, and make of that what you will. You know, you don't have to make grandiose claims. You just have to feel good within your body and do whatever, you know, do whatever your body needs to get better. So this kind of exercise is used very much for this um, cultivation of chi, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, some sort of electrical activity, whether it's better blood flow, I don't really know, and I don't really care. All I know is that I find it beneficial. A lot of people find it beneficial. So try it and see what works for you. The other thing that this is really good for is for uh, the pelvic floor particularly, but the pelvis in general. So if you have issues with your pelvic floor, whether that be um, uh, like incontinence or uh, reproductive issues or just any kind of injury to that area, this is going to help sort of uh, restore good function, uh, good function to those, uh, um, to those areas. Sorry, there's someone driving in and he thinks he's in the Fast and the Furious. Sorry, um, there's two of them. Anyway, I'm currently, I'm currently recording in my car because, um, yeah, I don't, don't have the means to record anywhere at the moment, but soon enough I'll be back into recording indoors, so hopefully the, you know, the, the sound quality will improve, so Sorry about that. I probably should just edit this out, but, you know, maybe this adds a bit of character to it. Anyway, your pelvic floor is, uh, um, this exercise is going to restore that, or is going to help to restore that ability of the pelvic floor and those muscles to contract and relax and find a nice balanced uh, position. So what we tend to have with any kind of muscle issue or any kind of issue in the body is that we get stuck towards one end. So like I said, we have this potential, we have this range of what should be able to happen. And we tend to get stuck in a, in a narrower version of that or in a very specific position in that. And we just want to see, can we restore the ability to explore all of that potential? So this breathing exercise, like I said, is a bit more, is a bit harder to coordinate, but we're as always going to use our proper breathing posture. This one is quite good to do lying down because like I said there is a lot to coordinate but you're going to keep your everything your lip, lip sealed jaw relaxed um, maybe eyes closed again it's less to focus on and your tongue this is one thing I'm gonna say now before we get into it is your tongue your tongue is going to be moving so during the inhalation phase it's going to be keeping that a solid contact to the roof of the mouth and it's going to be driving into the roof of the mouth which should feel like a nice opening into your your nose so you get better better air into your nose and then during the exhalation phase we're actually going to disengage the tongue and let it relax uh, so that's just a little detail before we get into it so find the comfortable position and find the rate that is most comfortable. Like the, the purists who, who I learned this exercise from would say, you inhale over 30 seconds, you exhale over 30 seconds. That is quite hard to do. Um, it's unlikely that you'll be able to do that immediately. So, you know, just play around, see what you can manage. But if it's only like a, you know, try and push, push it a bit. So maybe eight seconds uh, inhale, eight seconds exhale. But, you know, try and lengthen that as much as possible. So whatever you can manage, that's what we're going to do. We're going to inhale gently. Let's do a round first, just, just the inhale, exhale. So inhaling gently, 
in through the nose, tongue pushing firmly and spreading firmly up into the palate, you should notice that you can breathe a bit easier through your nose because you're, you're creating a bit of a mechanical change in the bone of the nose, which is creating more space, potentially creating more space. Inhale nice and deep down into the belly, gentle pause, and exhale slowly and fully, let the lungs um, deflate and empty. Now, the next portion of this is, you want to sort of imagine that you're inhaling uh, a bright light, like a golden light, whatever way you want to think about it, something that is coming in as you're inhaling and it's permeating your body. So this light is permeating every inch of your body and it's moving downwards as you inhale. You can visualize this, it can be helpful to visualize it happening, moving down, permeating everything it touches and accumulating down at your belly. You're sort of just below your be belly um, and you're sort of accumulating this ball of light or energy or whatever way you want to think about it. You're holding. And then as you're exhaling, again, like I said, as you exhale, you're removing the tongue from the roof of the mouth. You're going to draw your pelvic floor up. So this is the way to think about this if you're unclear, is if you're going to the toilet, number one, and you stop yourself mid-flow, that is a contraction or pulling up of the pelvic floor muscles. So as you exhale, you're pulling that up and you're disengaging the tongue from the roof of the mouth. So back to this ball of energy, we're imagining that that ball of energy is then sweeping down under the pelvis and tracing up along the spine, again, permeating everything it touches. I, I just naturally think of it as spiraling up my spine, whatever works for you. Tracing up over the, the top of your head and then out through your nose at the end of the exhalation. So this is really going to challenge your ability to really draw out that inhalation and exhalation phase because you need to do them long enough that you can really feel like you're drawing that light in and permeating everything and then accumulating that light or that energy or whatever down below your belly button. And then the way you might think about this is on the exhalation, it's sort of having this sort of purging, cleansing effect. Again, let's not get too bogged down in the language, you know, whatever way you want to think about it, whatever feels uh, most suited to you and your worldview. So, like, th there's a lot of explanations, so let's go through a few, um, few rounds of this. Whenever you're ready, we're inhaling again, tongue firm, pressing into the roof of the mouth, nostrils expanding, drawing light and energy into your body. It's permeating everything. It's moving down below your belly button and accumulating into a ball of light, whatever you want to think of. Hold, accumulate that energy, exhale, disengage the tongue, draw the pelvic floor up as if you're stopping yourself from peeing, allow the ball of energy to circle under the pelvis, up along the spine, over the head and out through the nose. Once again, inhaling smoothly, drawing that light in, engaging the tongue, accumulating that light, that energy down below your belly button. Gentle pause, exhale, pelvic floor up, tongue relaxed, energy building up and through and permeating up the spine, over the head and out the nose. And it's sort of this cycle this circular cycle, and this goes into, yeah, it goes into Tai Chi and Qigong and the way they're moving energy, and again, whatever you want to believe about that, that's fine. You're just kind of thinking of this cyclical motion of the breath and of this movement of energy. So a drawing in a cleansing energy, a nurturing energy, um, and then on the exhale, you're purging, you're releasing Again, don't worry too much about explanations. Just whatever feels right. This is one, like I said, is, um, you know, you'll need to practice in your own time because there's a lot, a lot to it. But this is one that I find works really well with as you're beginning to tap into the more emotional side of things and you're beginning to tap into um, locating emotions or feelings or sensations or sort of more mental 
things within your body. And this is one thing that I don't really know how to explain um, and I don't really want to over explain because I kind of want it to be your own because I think that's sort of the only way for you to get this and maybe you just won't get it because you don't need to get it and that's fine. But it's, it's quite likely that you will find that certain emotions, certain experiences or thoughts or just aspects of your emotional and mental life and experiences are housed seemingly in your in your physical structure so it might not just be that you've got back pain or knee pain it might be that when you really quiet quieten things down and really focus that when you draw your attention when you shine a light on these specific body parts and the events surrounding them that you have certain certain memories come to mind certain thoughts certain sensations or emotions it could be anger it could be despair, whatever it is, these things kind of bubble up to the surface. And I don't think anyone really knows how this works. So again, I don't... The more skeptical side of you might be kind of pushing back against this and saying, you know, where's where's the evidence? And, and I get that, but to some extent we need to be able to say, okay, there are certain things that we just don't know and we need to find that balance between being skeptical and cynical. So being open to say, you know, I don't know, I don't know everything and I get that the experts don't know everything. So let's just experience this. Let's just put the ego aside and see, you know, see what's going on. And always use, you know, your critical thinking and your, you know, things like that to to evaluate it. So you're likely to find that with the more emotional side of things and it's it's worthwhile considering the more emotional side of things if your body is not responding to the more obvious more structural more nutritional uh, interventions that there may be a, an emotional co- component and also any resistance to the idea that there might be a, an emotional component might be a a good uh, uh, worthwhile sign that that is actually um part of the cause so you have to be honest with yourself. You have to reflect and say, you know, am I am I really afraid of confronting this? Am I avoiding it? And this is, again, the value of getting to know yourself and investing the time because no one, in reality, no one can really do this for you and no one can really understand this as well as you do. Um, so you have to be honest with yourself. You have to consider you know, is there an emotional component to this? Maybe I'll explore it. You know, if I've got nothing to lose, you know, you have to be careful. You have to do it the right way. You you shouldn't just launch into it willy-nilly. But you you sort of have to ask yourself, am I willing to confront this if there is anything there? And what do I have to lose to just ask and to find out? So anyway, another tangent. What you're likely to find with emotions, thoughts memories is that they seem to inhabit on some level within certain body parts or there is some sort of unresolved tension or energy or whatever again language whatever way you want to think about it is there and that's that needs to be processed that needs to be released that needs to be addressed worked through it needs to be moved Uh, again this is all like various schools of thought have their their own lingo and vocabulary and we can get too bogged down in that. It's This should be a personal process. So forget the language. Feel it. Feel what needs to happen. Again, tangent. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm explaining this is because this breathing technique that we just did, that, that sort of arguably um, cultivates this energy and moves energy, I've found in my own experience and based on based on the people who would you know would recommend this and the way they they pitch it um it would appear that it's possible that this can help with the more emotional side of things and shifting any um any emotional stuff that needs to be resolved within your body so as you get into that habit and into just being comfortable with doing this breathing method being able to coordinate all of that you might find that you're drawn to certain areas or you might know from previous work that you've done with yourself that any time you think about your back pain or whatever or you think of a certain memory, you're drawn to a certain body part or a certain emotion. 
So what you can do with this breathing exercise is to begin as, as you're drawing that energy in and you're directing it to just below the belly button, what you can do is you can kind of think of directing that towards that body part. So maybe it's my knee. You know, every time I really, you know, sit quietly and focus on my knee, I keep remembering this event or, you know, something my mother said or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, don't don't overthink it. Just see what comes up. Be Be curious. And you're going to direct that energy or that light or whatever to that area and just kind of see what happens, see what you feel, see what changes, and then exhale. And, you know, again, think of maybe that releasing or that purging or that moving action as you exhale. And then inhale again and try the same thing again or slightly different. Just explore it and see see what happens, see what changes. And this is really when you, you get really into that, that juicy stuff of really getting to know yourself deeply um and i don't know i i i love that kind of stuff and it's an easy sell for me so i I don't know to what extent i need to sell this to you um but i would highly encourage you how excuse me i would highly encourage you to try this because it's i don't know i think it's fascinating uh, understanding the the depths to which your mind inhabits your body and, and vice versa and how they these things are absolutely just one and the same you know there is no disconnect and this is a useful exercise as we um hopefully are beginning to kind of question established ideas when it comes to healthcare if you're if you're still kind of clinging on to modern medicine and the way they treat chronic health issues in you know and, and they treat parts rather than the whole if you're still sort of clinging on to that, this is a, a nice clarifying moment potentially for you to see just how connected these things are and just how little separation there are between these systems. And also just a, a moment of realizing that how on earth is anyone else going to address that other than you? Like there are people who who train in that, that, that side of things and they seem to be able to pick up on these things themselves. I'm not one of those, well, I've dabbled in that, but I would certainly not be an expert in that. But, you know, you will find therapists who have that skill of being able to know where there is something or know that there is a, an emotional component here or being drawn to something that seems completely disconnected. But for the most part... Uh, you're the best person situated to understand that and to um, use it to to use it to get better because it's again if you're doing all the right things and if you're trying to get better but you're not getting better that is your indication that you need to start considering these other things and we always want to keep things simple so you always want to tailor the level to which you're treating something to the level um, to the level to which you want to solve the problem so if you just want to be able to get on with your life, then you probably don't need to worry about this, but you're also probably not listening to this podcast. If you're listening to this, and if you're listening, you know, following my content, it's likely that you are interested in this level of detail and exploring these things. So uh, hopefully, yeah, I don't really have to, to sell this to you. And it's nothing to sell. It's, you know, it's free. It's for you to do. So anyway, those are, I'll wrap up there because I'll just keep on rambling. Otherwise, those are the, the kind of three main breathing exercises that I like because they cover a lot of different things. The control, just getting into the very basic control of breathing with the box breathing, the reflex breathing, which is going to address more that mechanical side of the diaphragm and the low back. And then, I don't know what you call it, the kind of Tai Chi, Qigong inspired um, breathing that helps with that movement of energy and the uh, this sort of back and forth of the pelvic floor and diaphragm. They cover a lot of things. Everyone has their own version of breathing, their own patented technique, whatever it is. Don't worry about it too much. Uh, focus on the proper breathing posture, in through the nose, out through the nose, uh, keeping all of that, focusing on being able to control, fo focusing on being able to do it effortlessly. And then you can play around with things. You can do whatever, you know, patented version, and you can just make it your own. But um yeah it's 
it's those are the basics and use those and then find what works for you so i hope that helps um any questions as always let me know otherwise um hopefully you'll uh, you'll be listening to the next episode see you later